Time now for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester, America's premier automotive news and information talk show. Now, here he is, that automotive journalist with the photographic memory, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. If you're just tuning in, welcome to hour number two of Roadworthy Drive. If you're thinking this is just another car show, well, let me tell you, we are anything but. Roadworthy Drive is a mobility news and technology talk show. That means if it moves on land, air, or water, we are most likely talking about it. Not a car geek, you say? No worries. Roadworthy Drive is designed for everybody. From the most casual consumer to the hardcore automotive fanatic, we got you covered. And this hour is no exception. Right now on deck is a revisit about self-driving car levels. That is, what different levels of self-driving autonomy means, and more importantly, when you can expect it to be parked in your driveway, if at all, and in Jack's case, probably never. Um, along with that, we talk about what they call advanced driver assistance systems. Uh, they call those, uh, the abbreviation for that is ADAS. They're currently activated in the vehicle you're driving. If we have time... We might even have a chance to talk about the continuing research and caution in the industry currently as the automotive industry and the tech companies are lurching towards full autonomy on our nation's streets, highways, and byways. I don't know if we're going to get to all of that this hour, but I'm going to give it the good old college try. For those of you who want to add your voice or comments or observations to the conversation, it's easy. Call or text me on the Roadworthy Driveline, that number. 872-222-9793. My email address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, connects you to me and the rest of the Roadworthy Drive crew. Now, speaking of the crew, we're fortunate again to be operating it fully staffed with my good friend and executive producer, Jack at the Controls, and the sometimes caffeinated, always opinionated, Miss Sasha over at Mike 2. How we doing, my peoples? Did you notice the groan? When he said, you know, once again, fully staffed. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I need to interpret something for you. <laughs> interpret. When he said, if we have time, <laughs> Sasha, that means no. you and I need to come up with whatever nonsense we can come up with so he doesn't get to talk about it. <laughs> Exactly. Nonsense. Now, Mr. Chester, uh-huh. what is in this hour to the park band? See, so he thinks dog, he's going to get away with that. Oh, yes, I am. Uh, yeah. Did no. I tell you that I spend every single morning grooming my long hair to Kita for about an hour? No, I didn't know that. Uh, let me tell you about what tools I use. Uh-huh. You're going to really go there, huh? Uh-huh. I happen to like your long hair to Kita. And you're one of the very few males that my long hair to Kita likes. Leave him out of this. <laughs> Mr. Chester, again, yes, what is in the park band this hour? Recall. Recall. A recall. Like the to- movie? Total Recall? The, no. The remake no. did not make no. meet the stuff. We're talking about 2015 Chevrolet Silverado 1500. I heard about GMC that. GMC Sierra 1500s and the Chevrolet Tahoe Suburban Ooh. GMC Yukon and Cadillac Escalade SUVs. All 2015. Little problem with power steering. How little? Um, these vehicles can suddenly lose, then <laughs> regain electric power steering assist in low-speed turns. So all of a sudden wow. you go from just a little bit of a turn to you actually have to do the old-fashioned, you know. 
build the, your muscles, yeah, make the, the turn. The flaw attributed to an electrical and software issue. There's that software again. Software. Yeah. Oh. Has led to 30 accidents, including two injuries, but no fatalities. Thank God. 1.02 million light trucks uh, are covered under that recall. Now, folks, if you're wondering if your vehicle is covered, like we always send you, you can check with your dealer. Or if you want to just do it online, www.safercar.gov, look for the vehicle ownership tab. You can actually key in your VIN number yep. and find out if your vehicle is subject to this recall. Yep. Now, the updated software is available now, but unlike Tesla, you actually have to bring this into the dealer Yep. for repairs. Oh, and by the way, have we gotten to the point now where you just need to shoot a picture of your VIN number and have it next to your computer? No, 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 because he's saying 2015, if you've got the app, the GM app, you could go in there. It's part of your account. I mean, these people right now, if they're listening, they could just pull up the app on their cell phone, and it's going to give you the VIN number for your vehicle right there in the app, and they could plug it in. But if they've got the app... It's going to automatically tell Notify them, him. yeah, that you know, hey, uh, pull over right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Well, no, I mean the vehicle's drivable. Unlike that recall we talked about, the <laughs> oh, old Ford right. Rangers, Rangers. Mm-hmm. where they yeah. said, "Don't drive, don't drive it." They're not saying that. Yes, I have got to bring this up. On the way to the studio today, I saw a 2019 Ram Laramie. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you it realize- looked like a Chevy. It Thank looked you. Like a Chevy. I'm just going to put that out there. Did not recognize the back end. It lo- <laughs> two two of the three of us agree it looks like a Chevy. Let it go. And, guess who, and Sasha, guess who doesn't agree with us? I'm going mean- to sing the theme from Frozen. Come on with that. I can see. I can play this Why game you too. You know, us like that. I yeah, you really. liked us. Yeah, exactly. You him your friend, man. E- exactly. Okay, here's something for you. Okay, right. an electric motorcycle. We talked about these. Yeah, not this one. Ooh. Does 100 miles an hour. Ooh. Has an 186-mile uh, range oh. and doesn't have a rear hub. Okay, do, do what? Does not have a rear hub where you would expect the motor. Oh. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Finnish company. They said this design sets it apart. A powerful electric motorcycle with a hubless rear motor wheel. Uh, it's the name of the company's RMK. Their electric motor prototype is the E2. They're already taking orders. It has l- a speed limited top speed, electrically limited top speed okay. of 100 miles an hour. And what I would wonder with this, this almost sounds like a competition bike, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also has a range of 124 to 248 miles, depending on the model selected. Okay, so you said up to 248? Yep. Depending now, on the model. Jack, are you mo- your motorcycle? Okay. I, 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 have never rid- I have never ridden a motorcycle. Right. I like motorcycles. I do, too. My wife and I, at some point, would like to be able to buy a um, Can-Am Spider. My, my, my question is, what is the average miles like per tank of gas on a motorcycle? Um, if I remember right, one of the guys on my other show, I think he said he was getting 55 to 60 miles to the gallon. Oh, and I mean, you're running they, about they a gallon. They, they only have like about two, a or gallon. Th- uh, two or three gallon tanks now. Okay, so it would be comparable. Yes. And at 248, it would actually be more than. Could be. Okay, yeah. that's what that was my question. I, You know, with cars, I could kind of 
you know, gauge, guesstimate. Correct. You know, as opposed to EV. But I was curious about um, the electric, you know, mm-hmm. electric motorcycles. Yeah. Well, don't get too excited about this one just yet. Why? They're slowly ramping up production. They're okay. going to build 150 of these for 2019. Um, you can reserve it. Right. Reserve it. Okay. Reserve it. Uh-huh. $2,300. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, no. Nope. That's to reserve it. That's, that's right. not That's not the MSRP. Okay, the so I, MSRP uh-huh. add $26,600. Wow. So, again, GoFundMe for uh, Sasha. <laughs> yeah, this is 10% of the vehicle you, of your Roadster. Right. I, so, well, for 30 have, grand, you can get the motorcycle. Look, if... It, the suits won't allow that. It's yeah, a GoFundMe. No. I'm asking our fans and people who love us and love to hear the sound of my voice... I think that I deserve a Roadster and the electric. Uh, well, stop it. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. <laughs> Told you he was my friend. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah. So the competition's heating up. It's putting more pressure on companies like Harley to get with the program. Yeah. Because these vehicles trend younger. Young folks don't want the must, the fuss of motorcycle maintenance and adjusting this, changing that, tightening that. No. These things, you get in, you ride, you charge it, you're done. That's it. And it's and it's getting traction. There's a lot of companies. Another company they talked about, uh, Zero Motorcycles, also producing an electric, high-powered motorcycle for the masses. This is, the this, as the girl says, this is the way of the future. Mm-hmm. This is the way of the future. Okay, before we go to break, I got a question for you. Yes. Chevy's new app, Chevy's Call Me Out app, have you heard about this? No. No. Uh, basically, it is... Um, an app that uh, will actually talk to you in either a parent's voice or a friend's voice uh, <gasps> when you're driving. If you pick up the phone to use it, can I? Can I Not get to like? Use it. Can I get like Vincent Price? Uh, uh, no. Can I get Sean Connery? No. no. If I pre- no no, <laughs> it was developed with students at Wayne University during a Chevy sponsored hackathon. Okay. In order to use peer pressure to get people not to text and drive. So, like, what if you use like your like a deceased? No. No? No. Right. Let that go. All I'm questioning, do you really think this is going to work? A recorded nagging from your mother? No. Really? No. They no. think it will. I don't know. I, I heard about this. And now, I, yeah, now, if you, now, if you went to Arlie Emery and used his voice, <laughs> and, and granted, granted the man just passed away. He did. But he, you could get some results with that one. Uh, yeah, no doubt. So, autonomous cars. What does that mean exactly? We revisit the levels of autonomy and where we are so far. That's next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. You're listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Stunted Town and Country Winter Tire, you can put on all four wheels of your car to really improve your stopping ability on ice. With just two new Firestone Town and Country Studded Tires on the rear, you still stop. And you've stopped a lot quicker than with just two ordinary studded winter tires on the rear. Firestone's new asymmetrical Town and Country Tire with 112 safety studs, available where laws permit, gives us more reasons than ever to say, you go through ice, mud, or snow, or we pay the toll. 
If anybody tells you that ordinary snow tires are as good as Firestone's new asymmetrical town and countries, tell them he's all wet. Look for the new asymmetrical town and country winter tire from Firestone, the mileage specialist. Now, there was something that I had forgotten, because when I was a child, we still had studded snow tires. Mm-hmm. Studded, bias ply snow tires. You also usually put weight in the back. Uh, yes, yep. you did. You, you know, but, I, but the thing was, you could only put them on from November to April to March. And I, at, le- and at least here, it was November to March. Where I grew up was April 15th. Yep. October you, 1st to April 15th. Here's you, my question. Did they actually pay people's toe if you got... I mean, and did they put, like, how many miles you put on said tires? They, well, they I'm, sure, I'm sure they did if you bought the tires, but to the general public, no, they didn't get in all of I'm going to have to actually watch that commercial because now I'm curious as to what the fine print said. I bet the fine print ain't there. Remember, yeah. this is, you're going back to the uh, 1970s. 40, yeah, so different things. Mm. Um, if you're just tuning in, folks, you're listening to Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester in studio with Jack and Sasha. Mm. Together, Hello. we're known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. What, what? Yeah, for real. So glad you could be with us. Now, this hour, I wanted to go back to basics as we stop for a moment and bring you up to speed about what we mean about when we talk about autonomous or self-driving cars. Now, over the course of the year, our family of Roadworthy Drive listeners has grown by leaps and bounds. As a result... It's always good to make sure we're always on the same page uh, when we are talking about technology. So on that note, I wanted to start with what's called with the levels of technology. I mean, you've heard us here on the show talk a lot about, you know, the autonomous car and, you know, self-driving cars, connected cars, stuff like that. There is actually standards. The only question I have Mm -hmm. is that in the last three years, those standards have changed once. Are they going to change again? No. We're sure. Here, well, let's back up. A, <laughs> let's back up a minute and talk about what we're talking about. Okay. What you're talking about is the performance definitions of levels of autonomy that run from level zero to level four. The big change was for those of you that don't know, there's an organization called the Society of Automotive Engineers. They, um, their international um, organization, sets the standards for various aspects of automobiles and vehicles and all sorts of technical and engineering stuff, uh, down to metals, materials, uh, features, components. They're very comprehensive. Um, The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the change they made last year was to adopt uh, SAE International Standard, which is standard J3016, and that's not going to change. When, def- when defining levels of autonomy, this is the standard for everybody Okay. in terms of identifying uh, how automatic or how, how much control the computer has. So I'm going to go through these briefly. Really, this is probably the best and most direct um, document I have in all the documents I've looked at relative to this. Now, bear in mind, the pivotal change occurs between levels two and three. When responsibility for monitoring the driving environment shifts from the driver to the system, starting with level zero, and that's pretty obvious, no automation, fully manual, just like today. And that could be anything from a 67 Porsche 911 to a 2018 Kia Rio. But basically, the driver controls everything. And ironically, cruise control does not count as partial automation in this in this study. In, the, in this standard. And we talked about that before, too. Yeah. I thought that was odd, but okay. I'll go with that. 
Level one, driver assistant, system capability. Under certain situations, car controls either steering or the vehicle speed, but not both simultaneously. Driver involvement, driver performs all other aspects of driving, has full responsibility for monitoring the road and taking over if, system, if the assistance system fails. Uh, an example of this, adaptive cruise control. Level two, partial automation, the system. The car can steer, accelerate, and brake in certain circumstances. The driver, tactical maneuvers, responding to traffic signals and changing lanes, largely follow the driver as scanning for hazards. The driver may have to keep a hand on the wheel as a proxy for paying attention. <clears throat> Examples, Audi traffic jam assist, Cadillac super cruise, Mercedes-Benz driver assistance systems, Tesla autopilot, Volvo autopilot is not full automation. And I want to make that point. Level three, conditional automation. Remember, level two is partial. Level three is conditional. This is where it changes. Under the right conditions, the car can manage most aspects of driving, including monitoring the environment. The system prompts the driver to intervene when it, counts, when it encounters a scenario it cannot navigate. Here in level three, the driver must be available to take over at any time. But the system's doing the driving with the driver now as backup. Example, Audi Traffic Jam Pilot, which operates in low-speed situations. Level four is what they call high automation. The car can operate without human input or oversight, but only under select conditions defined by factors such as road type or geographic area. Driver, in, a, in this situation, uh, there may not be any driver involvement, but in a privately owned level four car, the driver may manage all driving duties on surface streets and then become a passenger as the car enters a highway. Uh, an example that they give, Google's now defunct Firefly pod car prototype, which didn't have a pedal or steering wheel, but it was restricted to a top speed of 25 miles an hour. And then finally, level five is what we consider full automation. Here's what this means. When we say self-driving car, we are talking about, for the most part, a level five car. Level four comes close. It still may, it may be up to the driver in certain situations, but in level five, it's all about the system. The driverless car can operate on any road, in any conditions, as a human driver can negotiate. Driver involvement limited to entering a destination. Any cars out there now? No, none. The closest you're going to get is Waymo's 600 Chrysler Pacificas hybrids that they're developing to use for a level five tech for production. But it's important to note, as of right now, today, this moment on our nation's highways and byways in America, there is no level five vehicle on the road. That is what people need to know. It's coming. We've got some that are approaching level four. But not yet. We've got a lot of them that are out there that are the level threes. So I wanted to give you that and kind of give you an idea to lay this groundwork so that you know. And now you know. Next up, what's going to happen when we give up control of our cars? Find out when we return. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. is Roadworthy Drive. 
Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive, and I'm your host, Ken Chester. To learn more about the show, listen to past episodes, or just want to watch what it's like in studio between segments, check out the show website. That's roadworthydrive.com. You can find that and so much more. It's also a great place to discover where we are and what we're doing in the world of social media during the week between shows. Sasha keeps things inspirational and entertaining as she shares her wit and wisdom with our listeners. Be sure to like us on Facebook so that you can stay connected with Roadworthy Drive. For those of you that are truly mobile, look for Roadworthy Drive on Google Play, Blueberry Podcasting, and Stitcher. So, team, crew, here's the big question. Yes, sir. You ready to give up driving? Yes. No. I'm ready for everyone else to give up driving. If I had a quarter. Quarter? Quarter. A quarter. A quarter. You, go, you want a quarter? I just need a quarter. I got a quarter for, for every you. time quarter. that these people that would scream, rant, and rave against autonomous vehicles, but is sitting there going down the highway on 80, going 75, 80 mile an hour with their phones right there in their hand, I wouldn't have to worry about ha- having a job. By the way. I agree with you on the everybody else can give up driving for one reason and one reason only. (laughs) Apparently, every vehicle I own apparently has a mysterious target on it. (laughs) What got hit now? Nothing got hit. Okay. But I mean, people being stupid. Um, Yeah. Let me fix this by doing a quick. The deer. Deer really want to like lay down on the hood of my car. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Well, you know what? As it's going 65 mile an hour. I'm just saying. (laughs) Uh, Quick survey in studio. Yes, sir. Do either of you Mm. use a cell phone when you drive? Yes. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, weren't you just ranting about that there, Sasha? My cell phone, when I use it, it is never in my hand. Uh Uh-huh. And you think you are totally conscious of what is happening in front of you at speed while mm-hmm. you're doing that. Mm-hmm. According to the surveys, they say you're wrong. I understand that. But also according to surveys, um, there's a lot of other things that they choose to say that are not possible that are completely possible. Uh-huh. Well, I am just saying that when I use my cell phone, if it's a call, then it's over Bluetooth and I will either take the call or I will not take the call. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's texting or something like that, my daughter who is in the passenger side, she is handling that. Mm -hmm. And if my daughters are in the car and I get a call, they actually pick it up Mm -hmm. or they'll put it on speakerphone or something like that. So do I use my phone while I'm well, and I have to interject. I only use a podcast addict or some, or some other app for my radio in my car. So if you're asking, do I use my cell phone while I'm driving? Absolutely. For my music and if I happen to get a call. But my phone is never in my hand. A recent Car and Driver article actually says that moving to autonomous cars mm-hmm. is bringing us full circle back to the day of the chauffeur. <gasps> right. The problem is, right. in the day of the chauffeur, the chauffeurs, which were available to people who had money since owning a car back in the early days... Until the Model T was really a rich person's venue. Right. Correct. The problem is the chauffeur back in that day had to be a mechanic. So chauffeur was really not the proper term. I know what you're saying. Uh, They had a list of stuff. Cars were so unreliable back then. Yep. um, That they had to have. 
But as cars got more reliable and chauffeurs began to abuse the privilege, uh, they were renting the, the owners' cars out behind their backs, doing other things with the cars that were not sanctioned by the owner. Um, as cars got more reliable, what the owners realized is they wanted control, not necessarily the freedom from having to drive. I still think that a lot of them chose that they would not want to because, I mean, they didn't have AAA back then. So you yeah. tell me when they hit, like, when they got a flat tire, when the thing would it was a, It was actually worse than that. Again, vehicles were not that reliable. If you go right. back to 1907, here's an example. Tool kit from a 1907 Pierce Arrow included an extra set of intake and exhaust valves. <laughs> um, we, cars needed weekly oil changes. Um, you needed to have a small pipe wrench, a pair of gas pipe pliers, large and small screwdrivers, a pair of flat nose pliers, a small hammer, a pair of wire cutters, a large jackknife, half round and three cornered files, a roll of sticky tape, a chisel, a coil of soft iron, a monkey wrench, a few links of extra chain, a piece of asbestos for making gaskets, <laughs> cans of oil and grease and extra plugs. And what? the chauffeur was dressed to the nines. Right. Can I can I just interject? Everyone who lives out whose country heard sticky tape, or he said sticky tape. Heard duct du- tape. We heard duct word, tape. Word. We heard duct tape. Hey, duct tape that puppy. You can't, well, if he's got a problem, duct tape that puppy. Right. Hey, the only thing I will say, the two things you need in your car, duct tape, yep. WD-40. And a hammer. <laughs> just in case it gets minutes. uppity. Yeah. I'm sorry. I can see you hitting the side of the engine computer with a hammer. No. Because it got uppity. No. It's getting uppity. No. <laughs> Sasha, yes. this ranks up with a picture that I always wanted to take, but, uh-huh. I, but I could never get our chief engineer to agree to it. Okay. I would sit there in front of the control board with a hammer in the in the swing position uh-huh. and him grabbing my hand. Right. But I have would a, never take that picture. I have a feeling some people would want to do that to their infotainment system. Oh, now, amen. I, I mean, I think there's a reason why many people say I will go office space. On this piece of technology. (laughs) (laughs) Is that kind of like going postal? It is. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like the more polite approach of going postal. (laughs) Ah. Now, in the middle of all this autonomous stuff, you would think that cities would welcome the opportunity, you know, like San Francisco, Seattle, stuff like that, unless it's New York City. Yeah. Yeah, not so much in New York City. GM has been trying for over a year to start their... Test through cruise anima- uh, automation in right. New York. Um, yeah, red tape and a kind of a battle between the governor who made all these flashy announcements. They forgot to include the mayor. Oh. In- okay, explain, please, because you're Okay, oh. you're going to do a test on a city street without bringing in city government? Okay. Not the wisest trick in the book. And And now it's probably become, you know— a political football. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, think. Yeah. Their exact words were two roosters we, in a hen house. We confirmed that it had yet to receive a permit, uh, and we're working with the complex regulatory environment as we continue to work with stakeholders <laughs> on the next steps. I know. Do you want do you want to uh decipher that? Payments any, terms, we cannot commit we cannot repeat that on radio. Anybody yeah. got any aspirin because my head hurts now. <laughs> yeah. So basically they're trying to get into New York. But uh, <clears throat> the complex regulatory environment. <laughs> Stop. I'm just saying what the company said. <laughs> just and here's the part that kills you. Um, the Jalopnik 
I went to the DMV to find out if GM actually had filed their applications. Right. No. When they went back to GM, and I quote, they were working with the city through the complex regulatory environment, and we continue to work with the stakeholders on next steps is exactly what they said again. So, yeah, not everybody is down for the count relative to self-driving cars. So, um, finally, research and caution of the watchwords when we roll towards an autonomous future. A reality check from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. That's next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. You know, when I was back in broadcasting school all those many years ago, right. I had a professor one time tell me that the conversations that you have off mic are better than the conversations that you have on. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that, too. But sometimes they are just not safe. <laughs> Folks, if you're just tuning in, this is the last segment for the hour of hour two of Roadworthy Drive. Mm. I'm Ken Chester. And in light of what Jack just said, uh, these two words, and they're not, they are mutually exclusive. Mm. Reality check. Okay. Uh, with thousands of people and billions of dollars committed to bringing a true self-driving car into the mainstream, there are voices of caution backed Me. up. Yep. Backed up by some of the mishaps that have occurred along the way. Now, we've talked a lot about the Institute, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. And I've mentioned before, I've actually been to their site some years ago. And it's very sobering, let me tell you. Field trip. Yeah. Uh, did I mention they're in Charlottesville, Virginia? Yes, you did. Charlottesville. Yep. Okay. Um, the IIHS is a privately funded organization that was founded some time ago by some of the nation's largest insurance companies. And they've really been at the forefront of vehicle safety down through the years. Now, you may not have realized it. But because of their work and testing, the typical vehicle on American roads today exceeds federal motor vehicle safety standards where it counts the most and actually sets standards where there aren't any. Wow. Like, for example, um, frontal offset crash safety, there are no federal standards. And you would think after all the testing that they've done in recent years that somebody would have come up with a standard for it. But there's a de facto standard. What is the de facto standard? What the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety determined as they reported it, when they start showing your vehicle not doing well, it has real financial consequences. And the companies update their vehicle so it meets their tests, even though there's not a federal standard. Okay. So, like, for example... They will tell you that roughly 45% of all frontal crashes are offset crashes. Frontal offset crashes. Can we define offset, please? Yeah. You're crashing into a piece of the front of the car. Okay. As opposed to hitting a brick wall with all of it. You typically, a car comes left, catches your right fender because they missed. Okay. Or you turn left and you catch somebody's fender. Okay. Because you didn't anticipate or they turned wide you turn short boom or 
two-lane road, and somebody wanders and catches you. That's most of the accidents. However, the vehicles were not meeting standard for driver protection in those accidents. When they started testing for them, the automakers invested the money, and now they meet it. In fact, so much so that they just recently started a test for a frontal off-crash test on the passenger side. And I was amazed at what they found out. I learned that you would think they'd be standard on both sides. Mm -hmm. They're not. Nice. They're really not. That if you are a frontal passenger in a number of these vehicles, the driver may walk away. But if they get cold cock on the passenger side, it's not going to end well. Wow. So they just started testing that. Now, what the good news is, is we will expect the manufacturers to, to improve that in the coming years so that the front passenger will have as much safety as the driver does. Now, the difference between if you're in the car that gets hit, and you're talking about a, what I'm going to call a left offset mm-hmm. versus a right offset. Mm-hmm. Does this have anything to do with the law of physics? <laughs> it always does. Well, I understand that, but I, I'm trying to figure out how I want to ask this question, Ken, because I'm thinking if they've done the same thing over here, but they didn't. Why didn't they do the same thing over here? Easy. But but what they did on the left side, will it work on the right side? Easy. Money cost. Money. Engineering costs millions of dollars. Retooling costs billions of dollars. And if you can spend the money. I mean. I don't have the statistics, but what are the statistics of drivers alone as opposed to having a car full or a front passenger? I don't know what the statistics are in millions of miles. I'm sure they know, and they crunched the numbers, and they decided protecting the driver is tantamount, and we can get by with it. Now, me, if I was going to re-engineer for the driver, I would have re-engineered for the passenger. That would have been my thought. You would think that, but my friend, money. Money and statistics. The statistics probably bore out that offset frontal to the driver happens more often and is more deadly than offset frontal to the front passenger. But I guess this this is where I'm going to admit to the fact I'm probably naive. Mm-hmm. Losing one life is one life too many. Oh, Granted, but when you're producing – typical argument that makes me crazy. Somebody says – it's only going to cost $5 a unit. I don't believe that they would make a decision like that for $5. And I said, hold up a minute. $5? In an assembly plant that builds in straight time 250,000 vehicles a year, that is a million two fifty. right there. A million two right there. One plant, one vehicle. Just to start with. These guys argue in development meetings over tenths of a cent. Not to mention the engineering that goes into that. And if you change the body of the car, you've got to retest it again to meet federal standards. Yep. Any change you make, that's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. It's not that easy and it's not that cheap. And, is, and I agree with you, Jack. One life is too many. But when you are manufacturing millions upon millions of items – you got to make a judgment call. But when I'm looking at the what we talked about a few weeks ago mm-hmm. about the amount of profit that company A is making off of pickups and SUVs, mm-hmm. 
to me, that almost borderlines on being criminal. I disagree. It, the automotive industry is a billion trillion dollar industry. And if you guess wrong as a planner uh, or a manufacturing company or one supplier on the other side of the planet screws up one little part, you could totally change it from profit to loss that quick and do everything right. So, yeah, it's kind of like it's a boom bust industry. And right now sales are softening and they still got to build this stuff and they still have the overhead and they still have the expenses. So, yeah, they may be making a lot now. But that does not mean that every time, every year, every unit, all the time, they're making that kind of money. They're not. And that is the trade-off. Hence why we have organizations like the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety to look out for us and do these tests and call these inefficiencies in the light. Well, folks, as usual, more subjects than time. Be sure to tune in next week when we are locked and loaded with brand new topics of discussion and debate. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You've been listening to Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.